Amen. I pray that that would be our desire, that we would desire that there be nothing between our soul and the Savior. And that's a, a big ask, because if we're honest, we allow far too much to come between us and God. There is far more in our lives that we allow to take priority and to have precedence when God deserves our best and God deserves the preeminence. And I pray that as we sing and even as we look at God's word today, that we would not just make it a desire, but make it our practice to keep the way clear and let nothing between. In our passage of scripture this morning that we'll be looking at, uh, we're going to be looking at a number of different tests that the prophet Elisha had to endure. So I'd ask for you to, this time to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2 this morning. 2 Kings chapter 2, and I've titled this morning's message, Responding to God's Tests. Responding to God's Tests. Last week I mentioned that there, as we've been working our way into this year, we've been focusing our attention on personal evangelism, on the importance of sharing our faith and soul winning. And I mentioned last week that we were going to look at the example of the prophet Elisha and look at all the similarities that are mentioned in Scripture with regards to his call and the different tests that he went through and his entire ministry to what believers go through over the course of their lives. And last week, as we began looking at the call of Elisha, and I mentioned that there were so many similarities between Elisha's call to the ministry and what every single believer being called to serve God goes through. All of the details that are recorded about the prophet Elisha before he began his personal ministry, which we're going to get to the onset of that here in our message this morning. All of those details before he began his own personal ministry once Elijah left uh, seem to be mirrored by what happens with each believer as they're each called into the service of the Lord. And as we evidenced last week, each begins with a distinct call from the Lord. And that call is followed by a series of tests to confirm that call. The tests will be different person to person, but each of them will be instrumental in confirming that the Lord is the one who is calling the individual and not them acting upon an impulse or their own selfish desire. This morning, as we take a closer look at some of the tests that the prophet Elisha went through, we're going to actually look at seven different tests which serve to show how thorough the Lord is when calling his servants and how methodical he is in preparing each of them for future service. Responding to God's call requires us responding to God's tests. And God tests us specifically for the purpose of preparing each of us for what he is calling us to do. So many Christians struggle with this because they feel that what God calls them to should just come naturally to them without any sort of challenge. Now, I don't know 
How many of you played sports growing up? Maybe some of you ran track or did something that you enjoyed doing as a hobby. And often these things come naturally to us. Some of us are just gifted athletes. Some of us are gifted writers. Some of us just are gifted in some unique way. And you don't have to always practice at it in order to be good at it. With sports, that was me. I was a natural athlete when it came to playing basketball, baseball, football, soccer, whatever it was. That just came naturally to me. And I remember some of my friends used to get a little aggravated at me because I wouldn't necessarily put in the same amount of practice that they would. But when it came time to actually putting in the effort on game day, I was, was faster and quicker than most of them. They just couldn't figure out how I could be that way. And I wasn't trying to, to gloat over them, but God had gifted me in a specific way in that area where I was naturally able to do those things. Now, when it comes to our service for God, it's a little bit different. There are times where he uses these natural abilities that we have, but there's also other times where he has to specifically equip us with something that we don't already have or maybe something that we do already have, but he is going to strengthen and and modify what that is in order to be used on a much greater purpose. And this is where a lot of Christians struggle because they look at how God has gifted them already and think that if their niche, if their area of service isn't specific to that specific ability that God has gifted them now, then it must not be God's will for them to venture out and to try something different. And if they're going to be determined to find something right there, to use these specific gifts and only these gifts, and if they can't, then they just determine that it's God's will for them to wait and to wait on something else. And that may be true in some regard, but some are, are waiting and struggling to find that talent or to find how to use that specific talent when God is trying to stretch them and show them that the talent that they have may be used in a different way or that there may be something new that God is going to equip them with. It is true that God has gifted every single believer with a specific talent that he expects each of us to use for his glory and for his purpose. But it's also true that God may have a different purpose for those gifts and those talents that he gives us than what we expected them to be used for. And much like I shared last week with the the swimming pool analogy, many Christians choose to remain in the shallow end of the pool, the shallow end of Christ's service, because that's where they feel comfortable. They can feel their feet on the ground. They feel as if this is a good place for them to be because they feel as if they're somewhat in control because the gifts and talents that they have are fitting perfectly in this little area. In many cases, God is desiring that we test his faithfulness and test his ability and venture into the deep end where we're forced to be dependent upon him, where we can't see the outcome and we can't see how things are going to be modified and can't see how God is going to use this specific gift in a different capacity. And it's a scary thought. It's a scary thought because many of us have become quite comfortable where we are. And the thought of changing our definition of normal and venturing beyond the limits of our comfort zone is often too much for us to deal with. Some of us find it too hard to believe that God would ever do this, that God would ever take us out of our comfort zone and put us in a different place or use us in a different way than what we're already doing for him right now. And my goal this morning is for us to have a clear understanding of what God's tests look like and how we should be responding to each of them. So first of all, I want you to see the test of affliction. 
The test of, I'm sorry, not affliction, affection. The test of affection, quite different. The test of affection. Uh, we're told in Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. The test of affection. As servants of Christ, our effectiveness is directly correlated with what our affections are set on. It doesn't matter how many gifts and how many talents God has equipped you with. If our affections are set on the wrong things and are put in the wrong place, our service for the Lord is going to suffer. We see God test Elisha on this back when he first received the call from God. God was calling him to be a prophet where he would serve God and where he would serve God's people. It would be a very difficult test. If you can remember, Elisha had not been begging. He wasn't pleading for this position. He wasn't looking for an excuse to get out of the family business and get as far away from his parents as possible. From what we find in scripture, Elisha was the son of a wealthy family and was faithfully devoted to his parents and even to their care. Responding to God's call, meant giving that up. It meant not only giving up worldly wealth, but leaving his family behind who he was so close to. What an incredibly difficult test this must have been. How do we fare as believers today with this test of affection? Think about the situation that Elisha was in. He was faced with the test of whether he loved God more than he loved his parents. And based on what we read back in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verses 20 and 21, we already know that Elisha was not cold-hearted, that he was not unaffectionate towards his parents. So this must have been an extremely difficult test for him to pass. It says there in 1 Kings 19, it says, And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Elisha doesn't go home and take care of his family if he doesn't first have affection for them. When Elijah gave him permission to go home, he went back home, he took care of his family, but then he arose, the Bible says in verse number 20, 21 of 1 Kings 19. He arose, it says, and went and ministered after Elijah. After that, we have no record of Elisha ever stopping back at home, even for a brief visit. He loved his family. He had tremendous respect for them. But what we see here is that he had a higher regard for God. God isn't looking for us to stop caring about our families, to stop loving our, our friends and loved ones, but he should occupy the first place in our hearts. And this is the, the first test when it comes to ministry, when it comes to serving God. Are you able to give God the preeminence in your life? We just sang, nothing between our soul and our Savior. And usually when we think, when we think of that song, we think, oh, no sin, nor selfishness, no any sort of foolish desires. But you know what this also translates to? Your family. Because a lot of us are guilty of having our family having those that we love the most here on earth stand between ourselves and our Savior. So when we sing, nothing 
between our soul and the Savior. Keep the way clear. Let nothing between. You know what we're saying? God must have the preeminence. God comes first. Before your children, yes. Before your spouse, yes. Before your entire family, yes. Are you supposed to neglect them? No. But someone else should have the priority and the preeminence in all things. He should be the one that have preeminence in our lives. Those who are not prepared to do that, those who are not prepared to give God the preeminence, are not ready to serve God where he leads. No one is ready for the ministry when they're allowing the bonds of flesh to take precedence over the bonds of the Spirit. Elisha responded the right way to God's first test of affliction. And he prevailed over the flesh as he followed God in obedience. Yes, he went home. He took care of his family. He took care of his mother and father. But then he left. And he went and it says he ministered unto Elijah. The test of affection. Notice second, the test of sincerity. The test of sincerity. Now this second test wouldn't occur until what we're going to read here in 2 Kings chapter 2, which is toward the end. This is the final journey that Elisha and Elijah have together. Now, Elisha first appears for us back in 1 Kings chapter 19, and then he doesn't appear again until 2 Kings chapter 2. And notice what we read here in the first two verses of 2 Kings chapter 2. It says, And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Now a lot of people have wondered why Elijah insisted that Elisha stay behind and not travel with him. Some think it was because Elijah wanted to be alone. Some think that Elijah was so modest and so humble that he didn't want to make his departure from this earth a whole matter of fanfare, so he didn't want anyone seeing what was going to happen. And others think that Elijah wished to spare Elisha from any grief as they had probably spent at this point a good part of 10 years ministering together and it was all going to come to an end. Now, while each of these views may make some sense, as you take a look at the full context of what's happening, I think there is a different interpretation as to why Elijah insists that Elisha stay behind and not journey with him as they make several different journeys over the course of chapter 2 here. This was another test for Elisha. Elijah was testing the sincerity of Elisha and his determination to follow him wherever it was that God was leading him. Back in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse number 20, when Elisha first was called, he responded to Elijah by telling him this. He says, I will follow thee. I will follow thee. And now Elijah is giving him the opportunity to do just that or to back out if he wanted. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, the apostle Paul mentions someone who had accompanied him in the ministry but lacked the sincerity in his service for the Lord. And thus, when the opportunity pre presented itself to back out, he took it. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. It says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica. Far too many have failed this test of sincerity. When challenges come up in ministry, many faltered under the pressure. When difficulties arise, many 
become too discouraged with unfavorable circumstances and the unfavorable response to their own effort. And whatever passion they initially had fizzles. As a result, many have completely questioned their, their calling altogether. Or because only small and unattractive opportunities have been open to them, they decided to better themselves by engaging in some worldly opportunities. Why bother with the ministry when God seems to be shutting the door or giving me next to nothing as far as fruit is concerned? He must be pulling me in a different direction or this must not be his will for me. So they venture out into something that is not ministry oriented at all. At a previous ministry, I was certain that God was closing a door for me and my family because things were not happening as quickly as I had expected. And I was convinced that God was moving myself and my family onto something else. I was extremely discouraged. I felt like we were doing everything that we should be doing, and yet the results weren't there. We'd been praying for certain things to happen. We'd been working and striving for certain things to happen. And it just seemed as if God was closing the door. It just seemed as if God was saying, it's time for you to move on. I felt like everything was being done the right way. We seemed to be faced with this uphill climb that somehow was getting steeper and steeper and steeper every day. The goal that I thought was originally nearly within reach suddenly appeared to be miles and miles away. I was questioning everything, wondering if I was doing something wrong, wondering if I had misunderstood God's leading, wondering if I had ventured out of the will of God when all along God was testing my sincerity to his call. At times I felt like I was in a sinking ship and now God was giving me a way out. And if you've ever been on a sinking ship before, you want a way out. Would I respond in sincerity? Or would I jump out and look for something else? And then the Lord reminded me of what it says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. Luke 9 verse 62, it says, And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So I stopped praying for God to move me on. And I asked God to forgive me for ever doubting his work and his time. And I kept diligent to what he'd called me to do. And all of those things that we'd been praying for and hadn't been seeing the results on, God began blessing in ways that we could have never dreamed of. When Elisha was offered the opportunity to turn back, he didn't even entertain the thought because his commitment to follow Elijah was not a decision that he just made on an impulse one day, but in sincerity and in complete devotion. He proved this when he was put to the test and his loyalty was unwavering. Notice again how he responds to Elijah in verse number two. It says, And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Does it get any more permanent than that? As the Lord liveth. Does the Lord have a beginning or an ending? Thank you, Tom. Does the Lord have a beginning or an ending? No. Is there ever going to be a day when God is no longer on his throne? No. Never. He is the eternally existent one who is and was and always shall be. There is no end to him. What a response. As the Lord liveth. He could have just ended right there. 
Because the Lord is always going to live. So what is he saying? There's never a day, he says, where my commitment and my devotion to you will ever waver. Wherever you go, I'm going. Because as long as the Lord is alive, which he always will be, my mission is going to remain the same. In other words, he says, regardless of how the circumstances may change, from when they was first called to where he is 10 years later, if God is still alive, if God is still on his throne, our response as believers today should always be the same, that we will follow him in sincerity and follow him in unwavering devotion. Because wherever you are today, from where you have come back when God first called you and saved you, I'm sure you can look at all the different things that have changed in your life. And you can see God's hand at work. God has delivered you to where you are today and you're here for a purpose. Maybe you haven't yet discovered that. But God has a reason for you being here today. And that reason, and as he's testing it, is to serve him and to bring him glory. Now are we doing that? Or are we just staying within our comfort zone? Staying where we're comfortable, staying where we feel like we're in control? Or are we allowing him to work on us and stretch that a little bit? And use us for his glory and use us in ways in which we didn't imagine. I want you to notice third, the test of resolve. The test of resolve. Look at verse number three. 2 Kings 2, verse three. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. So Elisha passed the first test and he journeyed with Elijah from Gilgal to Bethel. Upon arriving at Bethel, Elisha is confronted by the sons of the prophets. Now it's believed that the prophet Elijah had set up at least a school or several schools where he was training and equipping men for the ministry. And those are the sons of the prophets that we see here. Now these sons of the prophets had confronted Elisha and they're asking him, knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? Well, what they're basically asking was this. What's the point, Elisha, in going any further with Elijah, seeing as how the Lord is about to take him away from you today? Apparently, it had become common knowledge that Elijah was going to go home to be with God today. And they're asking him, everyone knows he's leaving. Everyone knows today's the day. Why do you keep following him? Why do you keep insisting on hitching your wagon to his train? You know, the devil often tries this same tactic where he tries to get us to think about whether something is going to be profitable for us or not. What's the point of doing this? You already know how it's going to end up. Why bother still doing this? You've done enough as it is. There's no need for you to do anything more. You've done all that you can do. The devil will feed you these lies in an attempt to get you to throw in the towel and to walk away and to look back and you know, you know he's right. I have done enough. Now what else is there for me to do? I've exhausted every effort. So maybe it's time to move on to something else. Maybe it's time to take a step back from this. We expect just as much from the devil. But that's not what happened here with Elijah. 
Again, he says he's confronted by the sons of the prophets, by fellow believers. These weren't secret agents of Jezebel. These were the sons of the prophets, it says. And they're essentially discouraging Elisha from staying true to his calling. You may not expect it, but the truth is that much of the opposition that believers face in ministry is from fellow believers. And what made this even worse is that it doesn't appear to just be one man questioning Elisha's resolve, but the entire group. Notice again what it says there in verse 3, And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto them, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. God will use all sorts of methods, all sorts of means to test our resolve. And God was using this incident to test Elisha's resolve to see if he was steadfast or if he would succumb to the persuasion of fellow believers. When we're regulated wholeheartedly by God's call and by God's will, we will be resolved to stand firmly with him regardless of who seeks to persuade us otherwise. Complete dependence upon God is the true mark of a servant. I will admit this can be extremely difficult, especially when you have numerous believers who are in your ear telling you one thing, telling you another thing, and offering what they believe to be good counsel. But telling you that what you're doing is pointless and that you're wasting your time in this endeavor. If God has truly called you, it doesn't matter what men may say. When the Apostle Paul speaks of his call to the ministry, listen to what he says in Galatians 1, 15 and 16. He says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. So he says, God is the one who's called me. I know that. Notice what he says. Immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. You know what he says? The first thing that I did when I recognized that it was God who was calling me, that he's calling me to preach the gospel to the, to the Gentiles, to the heathen, the first thing I didn't do is to seek counsel from men. You know why? Because fellow believers would have said, you're wasting your time. We know how they're going to respond. You're going to go down a dead end. You're wasting your breath. Immediately, he says, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Imagine if the Apostle Paul would have immediately gone and sought counsel from the apostles about his call from God and about his mission to go and to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He may have been convinced that it was a big mistake. He would have received different advice from each apostle and his mind would have been completely confused. If God is the one who calls you, he is the one that you obey. Very simple. Until you're sure of his will, you must continue to wait on God. Once he makes it clear, you're to actively perform it. And don't allow the words of others to ever discourage you from wavering off the path that God has placed in your life. Take what others have to say with a grain of salt. But if God is the one 
who has truly called you to some area of service or ministry, know that God is who calls and prepares you for that, not anyone else. If you're acting on your own passions, if you're acting on your own desires, outside of God's will, that's a different story. But if God has called you and God has confirmed it, don't let anyone ever discourage you from serving where God has called you to serve. It frustrates me to no end when believers feel that they need to meddle in everyone else's business because someone is doing something different than that they would do. Or someone is doing something that they wish they were called to do. Or because they want this person to be doing something else or to help out in another area of ministry. So they're going to discourage him from doing what God has called them to do and make him feel guilty about it. If you know for sure God has called you, be resolved to not waver no matter what. Elisha knew that he had been called by God. And that is why he's able to go against this advice, even if it's from fellow believers, and say, hold ye your peace. At times, it may seem well-intentioned, but don't let someone unfamiliar with your life try and talk you out of what you know God's will is for you. Don't be afraid or too shy to tell them, hold ye your peace. I know what I'm doing. God has called me. God is going to equip me. You can just mind your own business. That's my version of what it says. The test of resolve. Notice fourth, the test of faith. Look at verse number four. The test of faith. Verse number four. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said... As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. So they had journeyed from Gilgal to Bethel. And now as Elijah is being sent to Jericho, he again pleads for Elisha to stay behind. Now Bethel was a pretty significant place. It was at Bethel where Jacob had spent the night as he fled from his brother Esau. It was there where God showed him the vision of the ladder that stretched from heaven all the way down to earth, where angels were seen descending and ascending upon it. It was at Bethel where God spoke to Jacob and revealed himself to him in a new way, giving him some precious promises. We read in Genesis chapter 28 and verses 16 and 17, it says, And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Now, even though that had happened many years prior, it was still a very sacred location. There was a divine attraction to Bethel that attracted those who were spiritually minded and would be easy for someone to just want to camp out there for a while. There's a reason why the land of Israel is a big tourist destination. We're able to go and to visit places where we know with absolute certainty that Jesus was and that Jesus has walked. You can go on a boat and take a ride on the Sea of Galilee. And you can know that this is the same sea where Jesus calmed storms, where he even walked on water. I wouldn't recommend you try that. 
But you can go there and try it if you want to. And you can know that he was there. You may not be able to see his footprints in the water, but you know that he walked upon that water. You can visit the Mount of Olives and know that Jesus stood there upon the Mount of Olives, looked out over the city of Jerusalem and taught his disciples. There are countless sites that you can visit where we know with certainty that Jesus has already been. And that reality alone makes these places so attractive for us to visit. As exciting as it is to visit such sites, can we also make too much of a location that we lose sight of the real glory? Absolutely. When Jesus led his disciples up into a mountain for his transfiguration, Peter's response shows us that it's very easy to lose sight of the big picture. Listen to what we read in Matthew chapter 17 and verses 3 and 4. It says, And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. So Peter's thought was to remain there, to stay there upon the Mount of Transfiguration and enjoy the blessing of that location as long as possible. Let's build three tabernacles, he says. Let's camp out here. Let's stay here. This is a sacred and a holy location. Let's make this a memorable place so that we can stay here for quite some time. But that's not what God's plan was, was it? God still tests his servants like this today. For some of us, there's a specific place that holds a special place in our hearts. It could be for a variety of different reasons. But either way, this place is often sacred to us. Maybe it was a place where the Lord showed himself real to us. Maybe it was a place where we felt the Lord's presence the strongest. Maybe it's a place where we understood the Lord's will the clearest. Maybe it's a place where we enjoyed some very sweet communion and fellowship with the Lord the closest. And based on what happened at that place and what it means to us personally, we would stay there as long as we could because there's something about that that feels like it draws us closer to God. Oftentimes, we'd want to do what Peter did, to build a monument at that place, to stand as a permanent reminder for what the Lord did for us there and how he worked in our lives in such a powerful way. Well, Bethel had far more appeal than Jericho. And if it were up to Elisha, a spiritually minded person, I'm sure he would have preferred to stay in Bethel. But it wasn't up to him, was it? Elisha was committed to serve the Lord and that meant following the Lord's servant, Elijah, wherever he went. If Elijah was to leave Bethel and to travel to Jericho, Elisha was going with him. It didn't matter what city was more appealing to Elisha. All that mattered was that the Lord had directed Elijah to go to Jericho and to Jericho they would both go. The true servant of Christ is not thinking about what makes him comfortable and what he would prefer. He is going to perform his duty wherever it is that the Lord leads. And sometimes that means going out of your comfort zone to a place that you wouldn't think about going on your own or in your own normal mind. And God does this at times to show us just how he's going to use us in a different way. Just this week, Ruthie was sharing with me what someone had written and had on the internet and asked advice um, for. A pastor and his family were being called to serve in a church up here in the Northeast. They were from the South, but they were being called to a church up here in the Northeast. 
And the wife online was asking for advice, seeking advice from people that were up here in the Northeast on what they could expect moving to a new area, an area they'd never been to before. Overwhelmingly, as, as Ruthie was reading some of these responses, the responses were negative. People were saying how horrible things are up here in the Northeast. Some of you are shaking your head like, yeah, don't ever have them come here. We're trying to get out of here ourselves. All they were saying, how horrible things are up here in the Northeast, how cold and indifferent people are, how unwelcoming they are, almost discouraging this family from leaving the South to come to the North, even though this is how they feel the Lord is calling them and where he's calling them. True servants of Christ are not concerned with the spiritual or even the political climate of a place. They're only concerned with following where the Lord is leading them. Some people struggle to understand why we stick around in a place that continually tops charts as the most unchurched regions in the country. Why not move to a place where the spiritual climate is a lot better? Where people are more excited about coming to church? Well, the answer is simple. First, this is where God has called us. And second, this is clearly a place of great need. If my goal is to serve Christ and to reach the lost for him, then I'm in the right place. Most unchurched, challenge accepted. Right? We have job security here in the Northeast, right? That's how I'm looking at it. Of course, I don't want it to be that we're continually topping the charts as unchurched and most unchurched in the, in the entire nation. But that shows me that there is work to be done here. Would it be easier if we left and moved to a place where the spiritual climate was a little bit better? Find the, 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 the most church place in the country and move there? Sure, it'd be easier, right? Wouldn't have to necessarily do as much. I wouldn't necessarily say that, but the mindset might be a little bit different. But God has called us to be here, and there's a great need that is right here. This is exactly why it didn't matter where Elisha was. He had one mission, and that was to serve God, and that involved going wherever God led him. He didn't have to think about what would be comfortable for him personally or what place held a significant place and value to him. His GPS was God, not his heart. So praise the Lord. So he was able to look at these prophets and again, or I'm sorry, to the prophet Elijah and again say, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho, it says. Now I want you to notice the fifth test, the test of patience. The test of patience. Now this would be a twofold test. Notice what we see in verses four and five. I know I just read verse four, but notice again what it says. It says, and Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee. For the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. When the two prophets arrived at Jericho, Elisha would have a similar encounter as he did in Bethel. It is the connection of these two tests that supply the key to the meaning. God is testing Elisha in Jericho the same way he tested him back in Bethel to see how ready he is for service. Once again, these were fellow laborers with Elisha that approached him and essentially tell him that there is no need for him to keep following Elijah considering that God would soon take him away. 
God was testing Elisha to see if, it, if his trust was going to be in fellow believers who were only focused on the temporal or in God who was focused on the eternal. From a human standpoint, they may have made a good point. But Elisha wasn't basing his trust on man or even his own understanding. He was basing his trust in the Lord and leaning upon God's understanding. Now, I'm sure he was probably annoyed to hear yet another group of believers discourage him from following Elijah. And still we see the patience of Elisha come forth in his reply to these men where he says, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. Elisha wasn't going to be swayed from his position, even though his patience was being tested by the continual questioning of these sons of the prophets. And notice what we read in verse number six. It says, And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. The two of them had traveled a great distance at this point. And I'm sure Elisha was tired from his journey. It would have been easy for him to stay back and not continue on, but he persisted. Many believers grow weary in the service of the Lord. And they fail to reap blessings because they end up giving up along the way. The work gets too tiring. The stress is too much. The constant input from others negatively around them, trying to influence them, is too much. And their patience wears thin. Elisha could have thought that he might be of use to stay back and to minister to these sons of the prophets and that it would be beneficial for him to stay and to train them. But Elisha stayed true to his word and said again, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. The test of patience. Notice sixth, the test of character. The test of character. Look at verses seven through nine. 2 Kings 2, 7 through 9. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view far off. And they stood by Jordan. They too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon thee me the test of character this is proof that as much as God was testing Elisha so was Elijah testing him every time he asked him to tarry in a certain place Elijah would not have extended such an offer to Elisha had he not been faithful and acted in self-will of all the tests this was the most revealing because now we're going to find where Elisha's heart really is. Was he sincere this entire time? Or was he just trying to please Elijah? Was he just trying to show him, yeah, I'm going to follow you to the very end. Just so you can be pleased with me until you leave. At first glance, it seems like the offer is too good to be true. Elijah says, what do you want? Verse number nine, it says, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. What if Elisha asked for something too big? But remember, they had spent close to 10 years together at this point, and Elisha's reaction to the other test had convinced Elijah 
that this faithful servant would only ask for something that was in line with the will of God. And notice again what he asked for in verse number nine. It says, and Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Elisha doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't ask for fame. He doesn't ask for power or any sort of personal gain. What he asked for would be for the glory of God and for the good of his people. Elisha knew that the service that he was called to would require immense help from God. And that is what he asked for. Elisha, you've been helped, or he says, Elijah, you've been helped by God. I'm going to need even more help. Every true servant of Christ will seek the same help from God. There is nothing more beneficial to us than to be supplied with power from God to perform what he has called us to do. The work of the ministry is not something that we are naturally equipped to perform. Only God can prepare us for that work. And notice seventh, and this is the last one, the test of his endowment. Look at verse number 10. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. One last test. When we ask God for something, it is often his way to test our desire by keeping us waiting. And then when he does grant us our request, he puts our loyalty to the test in how we use what he gives us. Just like we say, don't pray for patience because God will test it. He would do just this with Elisha. Elisha wanted a double portion of Elijah's spirit upon him. So God would test him by presenting him opportunities to use his gift for good or for folly. In all that Elisha went through, he was learning what it was to be a true servant of God. Each of the tests that God brings our way, every single one of them are for our own edification. God doesn't just throw us into the deep end of the pool and say, okay, learn how to swim. He first trains us and equips us for what it will be like when we're in the deep end. Each of the tests were lessons for Elisha as he was prepared for his own personal ministry once Elijah was taken up to heaven. God was training him how to move out of his comfort zone and rely on God in a way that he had never done before. So each time Elijah says, Terry here, Terry here, Terry here, he says, as long as the Lord liveth, I'm going with you. As long as the Lord liveth, I'm going with you. As long as the Lord liveth, I'm going with you. I may not know where you're going. I may feel more comfortable here at Bethel. But if you're going to Jericho, buddy, I'm with you. If you're going to Jordan, let's do it. I'm right there with you. Every step of the way, he's right there with him. He's going out of his comfort zone. He's going out of his natural ability. And that's when he's asked, what do you want? Ask of me what you want. And he says, I've been stretched as far as I can go. And if I'm going to continue on on my own, I'm going to need big help from God. So whatever he gave you, have him pile on double for me. Because the deep end, boy, it looks daunting. But as long as the Lord liveth, I'm going to go. So what he's saying is, Lord, you be my help. Because I may not be able to swim yet. And I may feel pretty comfortable right here in the shallow end where my feet can touch the ground. But you're calling me to the deep end. And I can only hold my breath for so long. 
So make sure that you keep me and train me to stay afloat and to do all that you have called me to do. As long as the Lord liveth, he says, I will go. Many Christians falter partway through the tests. Few reach the end and receive the blessing and the full blessing from God. God wants each of his children to serve to their fullest capacity. Not to a limited capacity where we feel comfortable, but to their fullest capacity. But whether we do that is dependent upon whether we faithfully follow him in all the tests that he sends our way. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the reminder, Lord, that we need. Lord, I know that these messages are, Lord, for me at times more than they're for anyone else. Lord, there are things that you've placed in my life where I can certainly look and be a little questioning, Lord, and concerned about. But Lord, what a great reminder it is to have a true servant of yours who is not looking at the circumstances but is keeping his focus on the God of all circumstances and knowing, Lord, that where you call, you also prepare and equip. Lord, the deep end may look a little daunting and we may not fully know how to swim just yet. But Lord, if that is where you've called us to serve, that is what you're also gonna prepare us for. May we have the courage and the boldness to take that first step of faith. Lord, and to know that even though we don't feel that control beneath our feet, we know, Lord, that it is in you whom we trust. You are the one that is in control at all times. Lord, strengthen our resolve, strengthen our faith, and give us all the power we need to be the blessing and to be the servant that you've called us to be where you've called us to be, even if it stretches our comfort zone and causes us to something that we weren't ever expecting to do or to a place that we were never expecting to go. And may we have the boldness and the courage of Elisha, Lord, to say that as long as you live, we are going to follow you. May your portion be upon us. Lord, to serve you in the way that you've called us to serve, that others may be blessed and you be glorified through how we faithfully serve you, our loving Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.